welcome to this week's Wine and Web 3. I'm Kelly Vero and I feel completely honoured to welcome the amazing Boris Spromo. In this episode, we're going to be talking about everything Web 3, NFT, Metaverse and wine, of course. There's a lot of people who talk about wine and, and Web 3 in very kind of like open not really understood terms but you talk about web3 in your work in terms that are incredibly not rigid but specific you don't kind of beat about the bush which is what i think i love about you boris so let's kick off the podcast by you telling us a little bit about your role in inside web3 so what brought you to web3 what brings you to this place now okay so I guess, you know, for for many years, I've been working in tech. I was a tech consultant. I was a systems engineer. I was building large payment systems, um, figuring out how to essentially connect different and disparate systems and, you know, connect information and so on um, in a way that is that maintains integrity, which is pretty much what payments are. And then this blockchain thing came along and I was like, oh, wow, but this can be so much easier um so that's how it started um and i guess what carried me through is it's on one side a constant thirst for you know innovation and just to do new things possibly too new at the time when i was doing them and then the second part is um you know i like products i like products that are used by people um so i try to do as much of that as possible so on that journey so i guess the first stop was bmy melon where i was uh, operations director for blockchain innovation then i became head of blockchain innovation i was tristology um for a while co-founded that moved on to consulting a number of different startups and then started working with boson which is i guess what you're after um you know this was my first contact to proper nfts with nfts that were made for brands and for commerce and also with metaverse we build there this experience called boson portal uh, and it was hugely educational, a little bit challenging, which all the right things are. Um, and I guess rewarding. Um, you know, I've done quite a few things there partnerships, part of product operations, and so on, thought leadership, you know, writing papers with um, some people who think really well, and so on. Um, and then after that, I moved on to consulting for Fair Labs, where I headed up operations partnerships again. Uh, I know the NFT project with um the agenda to create the next 10 million nft users and mostly by creating tools for brands and so on they've done a bit of research about what makes nfts interesting but also what makes them successful and what is the recipe and i think this was what you find so interesting uh about the presentation in istanbul and then from there on and still i'm advising a number of startups and you know just take a little break i'm Right now, life is really nice. Yeah. <laughs> What's the NFT landscape like? Or as in, what is the startup landscape like for Web3 and NFTs? Because I see a new startup every hour of every day. And they're all doing the most incredible things that have never been tried before. What, when you're selecting startups to work with, really sets startups apart from each other? What are you looking for? Okay, so um, I guess the first thing is, what's the mission, right? Is there something of value being done or just creating copies of copies of well-known PFP NFTs and, you know, with intent to potentially rug or do nothing? 
what is the creativity? How are we planning to support our you know users and communities? How do we bring change in the world? I guess that's what I get the excited about the most. And for me, that's that's the, the biggest thing. I guess the next thing is the team. I like people to be experienced. I like people to be nice. The culture needs to be good. You know, startups are and NFT what are web project web projects? They are a little bit like pressure cookers. Things are great until they're not, and when they're not, they're really bad. So yeah, exactly. So having the right culture and right personalities helps alleviate that, right? Where where we're having a tough time, we need to know why we're having a tough time, and you know, we need to be brothers and sisters in arms in a way. Um, you know. Uh, for want of a better, you know, better metaphor, I guess these two things are the most important. Then you have the hygiene factors. You know, what's the funding? Where are we operating? You know, what's the type of money that entered the company, and so on and so forth. Does that answer your question? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, some of the things that I look for is authenticity. And authenticity, I think, is something that is massively lacking in this space. I guess that's why, like, as a segue into whining Web3, working with these folks at Libation Labs and the Cuvée Collective project of whining Web3 is quite interesting because on the one hand, you have this undeniable authenticity in what is being created. There is a physical attribute, and that physical attribute lives inside our consciousness already. You could say the same thing about digital art. You could say the same thing about digital luxury. But Digilux, I think, especially, and Hardlux, these things are, are difficult to place inside a, a kind of world that and for a lot of people doesn't exist. So you come from a very payment oriented background. I come from a very gamey, artistic technology background. And when I kind of fell into this project with Cuvée Collective to present this podcast, I was faced with the fact that I wanted to traditionally follow a process that, that was authentic, but also I needed to lean on the digital. The authenticity of working on a project like this for me is just incredible. I've learned so much in the last few weeks. Is authenticity a driver, do you think, for Web3 as a whole? How are users connecting with Web3? Do they not really care if it's just a kind of, a, a, and you're gonna to have to explain to our listeners what a PFP is for an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, I'm not certain I understood the question. The question is, what is authenticity? And does the, do the various communities, do they really care? Do, yeah, do, do we think that the communities really care about authenticity? Well, I think they do. I think, I, I, I'm just reading an excellent book about communities that's called Get Together. And one of the things that, and it's building about communities in general, not necessarily about uh, in Web3. Uh, but what I find to be true of the best communities is that, authenticity or let's call it in terms of people and values being genuine is almost the coin of the realm genuine passionate people attract genuine passionate people and that's when if you have some overlap with competence 
that's what uh, what builds the most powerful projects and people are attracted to that to authenticity in humans in um, I guess in a subconscious way you all mm -hmm. crave it we all want it this is these are the deepest connections that we can have this is why we have leaders we don't have them without authenticity on a personal level and just to be clear are you talking about authenticity um in people or potentially in objects in products i think because okay. you know people can spend 66 million on a digital artwork i always use yeah, this yeah. analogy but also this nft that i i've got behind me in this video um call that we're having now in this recording is as authentic but also it's not it hasn't gone to auction for 66 million so which one has got more integrity is it because i've got the nft and i'm talking to you and you're saying wow that's a cool nft that you've got behind you kelly or did you have to go with sotheby's to feel that authenticity of the product that you were purchasing i think i think the majority of community members for now they do because mm -hmm. there is I guess the key change in business models, business models between Web 2 and Web 3 is ownership. Mm -hmm. And then ownership, in my mind, is inextricably tied with um, being able to validate that the object that you own, whether it's a digital NFT or an NFT that is tied to a physical item or something in between, that is truly tied to its issue. And I guess this is, you know, this is what this is very much true of the PFP realm, right? Profile picture NFTs. So for the listeners out there, they are the images that we often see and that have created all the, I guess, buzz around the NFTs in 2021 and that um, have at one point cost an incredible amount of money and that they wanted to have. There's about status very much about belonging again to a community, about demonstrating that you're an OG or something else, uh, original gangster. Yeah, uh, doesn't really matter. It's not really original gangster, but that you were with the community for a while, right? Because these things are um, very much in demand. So yes, authenticity is definitely needed. The second thing that I think is very much related to authenticity is verifiable scarcity. Mm -hmm. All of these smart contracts out there, right? They have they were deployed, they're uncontrolled by an address that we trust for some reason because that address belongs to our favorite NFT artist, or it belongs to a brand that we want to somehow be affiliated with. But what we also want to know is that something that is presented as scarce, and we are buying um, an instance of let's say 500,000, 10,000 pieces, which is again, uh, quite common. We want to ensure that this is really true. So when we think about smart contracts as these almost autonomous elements that uh, are used to create, manipulate and transfer NFTs, then we have authenticity and verifiable scarcity as part of something that, you know, it's, it comes with a package. It comes with a package as a part of the culture. The second part is how many people are able to validate that yeah. and how many people make mistakes and get conned by people who are not authentic and make copies of authentic projects. In the future, actually, it's not in the future. It seems really stupid even thinking about it as a future 
construct because I've just spent an entire day in the metaverse. I'm working on a project at the moment. So I've worked in the metaverse for the last kind of three or four days. My brain is just completely wired, filled with avatars. But I think mm -hmm. that the relationship between Web3 and the metaverse is a, a challenging one because I always see the metaverse as being the playground or the land and web3 is the kind of gold mining tools you know it's always the tool makers in in the gold mining craze that made the most money not the people who prospected for gold they yeah. became kind of rich and then lost that that wealth very quickly but in the metaverse we've got this big kind of endless space it's infinite and i'm starting to see that there are some incredible web3 tools that are being built for this space. How do we think that that compares to, I guess, what we see when we are creating very integral products that are physical to our lifestyle? Do we need to have those sort of foundational nuts and bolts? Or can we yeah. get away with just using Band-Aids to just plaster over everything? I mean, I think there's uh, there's value in using tools that are built as tools rather than rigging something of your own there's value in being able to seek help within the community and value in essentially specializing right mm. I, uh, also i think that infrastructure is a necessary part of any business model and when you look at web2 business models you see cloud computing and all the cloud services being key for that i think web3 is building its own version um and i think I think the, the 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 analogy with gold rush and tool makers is probably correct because the ones who are creating actual businesses on top of those tools um we focus on the ones that are successful right there's a lot of confirmation bias um and yet those who make the best tools are going to be use there's a reason people build web 2 in aws and there's a reason you know people build uh web 3 in tools such as you know ethereum and manifold for nfts and so on and so forth um yeah i think i think that's i think that's the way of the world i like it i like infrastructure infrastructure plays are for me where it's at right now structure is good i think that a lot of people who are in this space really take structure for granted when actually structure is going to save your ass when it comes to building all of the metaversal bits and pieces that you want to build. But everyone's lumping it all together and it's like, no, no. I mean, the metaverse is is heavily reliant upon Web2 um, tools and infrastructure and techniques now. And Web3 tools that are being built, I looked at a bunch today because of this project that I'm working on. And I see these amazing new ways of doing things. And I'm really excited about it. It excites me beyond belief. But I think that these two things can't be confused with each other because one effectively serves the other. That's yeah, the absolutely. Way. But yeah, uh, infrastructure is now, um, I guess being built and then it can be used in different ways. It doesn't have to be used in metaverse. It doesn't have to be you know, open metaverse, but if it's a central land or sandbox, nothing else. It doesn't have to be closed ones such as Roblox. It can be web pages. It could be games. It can be any storefront that we can imagine, right? So everything that exists right now, plus everything that 
we can't imagine, you know, two, two pairs of twice, the mathematician Gödel, right? There's a bunch of stuff that we don't know, uh, you know, how it's going to be used and how we're going to be spending money to, to you know, to get something that we want. That brings us to um, utility. You and me both had a meeting of minds over utility in Istanbul when we met. Mm. I really loved that conversation because, gosh, it was the first time that I met somebody who just totally got it. And trust me, I've been doing this for a really long time. I was part of the first wave, like you, of NFTs. And so to be in the second wave of NFTs and find somebody finally that gets utility. But now, of course, every single bit of news feed or article that you see is now, we must have utility. We must have utility. <laughs> and I kind of think, Boris and I have already organized how this is going to go. Yeah. <laughs> we know exactly We've decided what we for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what is the kind of intrinsic scaffold for utility, do you think, for the end user and consumer? Uh, it depends on the end user. So we build, we build communities and we build with communities. So learning from them um, what they want and making it repeatable so they want it again and again and again i guess this is the very fabric of communities and then this is where web3 is what web3 is able to support really well because with web3 communities get a higher degree of ownership and they can also co-create so for some it can be physical for some it can be digital for others it can be uh you know a pure investment play for others it can be a uh, luxury play for some others can be entirely, you know, type of subculture. It really depends. So we sure. should start community first. Yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think the, the, the tools are games. out there. Sorry, yeah. go on. I was going to say it's the same as making games. You always start with the user. You should never yeah, start yeah. with your own idea because your own ideas are always terrible. They're garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know much about making games. I you know play them. Uh, for a larger part of my life, but maybe looking at it from a product perspective, software product mm -hmm. perspective, you always try to develop a number of hypotheses, then you try to find, you know, your early adopters, you try to interview them, you try to understand what's right, what's not, then when they're using it, you try to quantify it. I guess somehow with communities in Web3, this is all somehow compressed and brought forward. And you have this conversation way before you build anything. And then instead of you building it, you empower other community members to build it. And you try somehow to be driven by culture and the emotion. So, yeah, I think, I think this is what's creating, I guess the first, you know, to, to, to delve, delve back into, you know, history and not too deeply, uh, it's it is common for open source open source was never properly monetized open source produced open source software produced some incredible tools that we've been using for decades but very few open source organizations are able to accrue a lot of value for its members and now with web3 we have all the benefits and the culture and the folklore of open source plus all the ability to co-own co-create and i guess finally get some money out of it as well right which is the more i think about communities the more i am there's a, this cynical part in web3 communities where it's just almost unsaid right we all want to get rich right 
so we enter our community with the intent to get rich yes there's all this you know structure and cultural scaffolding and blah blah, blah but people want money and there is that is also a driver and because they want money that means that there's almost like this weird seesaw effect right where things are good in web3 in communities they're better than in any other industry but things are bad they're worse than in any other industry it's really strange it's the same as what you said earlier about startups you know when things are going good it's just an amazing place to be but when things got start going wrong it's uh, a little bit incendiary I really like being in this space because I feel comfortable in it. And I think I'm completely unemployable. And so Web3 offers me a beautiful opportunity to (laughs) (laughs) work work with people and collaborate with them. Collaboration means that you don't have to be on a payroll. Collaboration means that you don't have to you know, get your P45 or, you know, insert your exit documentation here when you get fired from a job. It feels like it's just a very natural evolution for us as human beings to be more interactive with each other. Yes, I guess it also attracts the, I guess, people who are not in the mainstream, who have both a greater creative deviation from the mainstream, but also the greater need to implement it. And finally, 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 we have the tools for that. So we flock together in these communities and we can express our personalities really well. The way we can't work in corporate, right? There was a time when I wore a suit in a big bank. And I was I was an unhappy person surrounded by unhappy people. It's not I great. I don't doubt it, Boris. I can't imagine <laughs> you like this. <laughs> I'll dig up some photos. I think uh, so. The fact that actually we can bring our personalities into our Web3 project so that we can, we have to. It's almost, you know, it's almost mandatory. Requirement. It's liberating. So tell me, tell me about um, NFT1, right? What's um, what's the ideal relationship? How do you see that working together? I think that we have an opportunity and i'm saying we have an opportunity as in the human race winemakers wine growers and vineyards and the public at large we've got a really good opportunity to preserve a tradition and we should use nft to be able to do that i think because wine making is not a dying art in fact the complete opposite it is i've learned over the last few weeks that it is growing at a pace. There are so many different cogs moving inside this machine mm. that it's greased for a lifetime. However, the consumer is changing. And in order to meet the criteria of the consumer needs, we've got to be able to bring in other forms of scaffolding that community, whether it's through the metaverse by creating a virtual vineyard or whether it is utilising utility in different physical and non-physical ways, in digital ways, to make that fidgetal package of you buy the wine, you, you know, let's let's look at this really basically. You buy the wine, you scan the QR code, the QR code opens up a whole new metaverse world for you. You go into that metaverse world, you socialise with people, you do virtual wine tasting, and you're able to preserve a corner of the Napa Valley forever. 
you're effectively doing a bit of a decentraland with wine. And I'm yeah, using okay. decentraland as a very like open example because of the, the land sale. That sounds great. I've got a few builds. And the first one is, I think, can we make, you know, I think the, the name of the podcast is QA, right? Or QA Collective, something like that. QA Collective is the name yeah. of the project. Yeah. Oh, the project. The project yeah. yeah. So why not create um, NFTs for different um, grapes and different vintages? Absolutely. And then essentially breed them until we get a winning combination. Obviously, it needs to be conducted by a master winemaker, right? But you can you can you can somehow gamify that process, right? The NFT is your your chance, and then you have you can have a wine DAO, right? People can do it for themselves. They can do it on a level of a group. They can, if they find something really special, they can scale it, and it suddenly mm. becomes really interesting. That's what I think, and. Over the last few weeks, conversations I've had with people that are hugely involved in the wine industry, we have come to these similar conclusions, you know. We've looked at things from an economic perspective, so scaling. We've looked at things from the actual physical treatment of the ground in the winemaking process, sustainability, mm. marketing. It's all there. We just totally need to join the dots. I played this incredible game in Decentraland last week, which was pretty much a time management game. Okay, some of the fruits were square and some of the pineapples were not very pineapple-like, but who cares? Your imagination goes there. And I just thought, this is incredible. I see the future of everything that we do being gamified in this way you know, our day-to-day, -day. having that little bit of downtime, but also knowing that you're responsible for the outcomes of what is being maintained in that space is really important, I think. Yeah, yeah. and I see the wheels or the engine of commerce right behind it. Yeah, I completely agree. And to, to a point, right, all that wonderful infrastructure that is being built. Is Boris, have, have you got any pluggables? Is there anything that you want to plug? That you're doing I think at this time right uh i guess yeah, there'll be news life. <laughs> i think there'll be news in due time uh but for now i think it was you know it was it was certainly a pleasure to speak with you i love the the wealth of ideas and the way you're going with this and um yeah i'm very excited for what comes next i'm very very grateful to you taking the time at such short notice to come and meet with us today it's really Always a pleasure kelly Oh my pleasure. god, I'm in love with Boris! Again, all over again! <laughs> wow, it was absolutely amazing to talk to Boris Bremo this week and I'm so, so honoured and privileged to have spent some time with him. But it's not over yet. We've got more stuff to dig into over the next few episodes, so why not join us and have a listen to the possible future of wine in the metaverse with me, Kelly Vero. Keep in the loop with us at Cuvée Collective and take a look for us on Discord, Instagram and cuvéecollective.com.